You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they built their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Juan, co-founder of Grip. So happy to have you on. Hey, how are you? Very good. Um, let's jump right into it. What problem does Grip solve? So Grip solves a problem of modernizing direct-to-consumer shipments for perishable products. So basically the world over the last 10 years and consumer's behavior has changed to the point where consumers now know that they can go online, buy something, and it shows up either frozen or refrigerated to their doorstep. This was not common sense 10 years ago. This is new. So when we already started at ButcherBox eight years ago, it's, you know, we were like getting into the category, disrupting the category, creating a category. And, and nowadays it's just much, much more common. But the, the systems and technology and processes um, are, are, not, are not there yet to, to be on par with the consumer behavior from nowadays. So what Grip is doing is Grip is bringing technology, Grip is bringing a new way to operate to the industry where we're now bridging that gap. And we're now adding a lot more technology to the industry and we're working on a you know, modernized way to increase the probability of success when someone ships something either frozen or refrigerated to someone's source. Amazing. And then let's go back to your time at ButcherBox. What I found super interesting, you joined as a marketer and then worked your way up to head of logistics. How did you make the transition from marketing to logistics? I, I, get, I get asked that, that question a lot, you know, given it's just so, such a different skill set from, from one to the other. But um, I mean, first off, only about 5% five people, five of the people that I meet actually start in logistics. It's usually people that have like an operator mindset and like a problem solving mindset that end up in logistics after they, you know, were doing something else. So, you know, at ButcherBox, when we were getting started, it was all about, hey, how do we get people to buy frozen meat in the mail? And then it was, hey, how do we get people to buy, you know, ButcherBox now that they understand that they can buy frozen meat in the mail? And then fortunately for us and a lot of our work, you know, the company started scaling very, very fast. I mean, we did like, 300k revenue first year, second year like five million, and third year we did like 33 million. So it was like very, very fast growth uh, from the beginning. And when we then realized that, like, hey, all these boxes that we're selling, we now have to figure out a way to ship them in the mail and for them to get frozen to our customers. Logistics became our biggest time. You know, we were losing so much money in logistics, and uh, just the customer experience was not there. And that's just because we're, you know, we're not a logistics company. We had a very good source of, you know, different meats, and we had a very, very nice brand of front end. But we're just not a logistics company. So, I had some prior experience in logistics before because I had started another company in Colombia where we were like thirty thousand SKU marketplace and sending products to very remote areas of the country. And you know, we had to figure out that logistics. How do we get products to remote areas of the country and still be profitable doing this? So. I basically just like started, you know, digging into Apple Box and, you know, trying to solve problems. Hey, how do we, you know, how do we reduce our shipping costs? How do we increase probability of a box to get frozen to our customers? How do we reduce 
or add the exact amount of dry ice that a customer needs to have in, in their box? Or how do we you know, change the box sizes to make sure that we have no space inside the box? So I started just like getting in, into all these problems and it just just came to a point where you know I, I was just running that side of the company and, and the CEO just basically came to my desk once and said, you know, Hey, you seem to know something about this. I don't know where this came from, but <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> Amazing. And then tell us the story, how you basically exported the idea from ButcherBox, meaning you had the pain, the logistics pain of perishable things to ship. So food at ButcherBox, and then that became the, the core idea of Grip. Tell us a bit on how, how that story went and that transition. So... When you think about a direct-to-consumer company, you know, always has limited resources. Any company has limited resources, not just direct-to-consumer. But in this specific case, a direct-to-consumer company, when you think about what can you be doing with your resources that you have to increase the value of your company, I personally think that you know, your dollars or your money or euros here in Germany um, are, are much better used if they're spent you know, creating the core of your product, which in this case for ButcherBox is how do you source the absolute best meat so that you can give that to your customers? And then how do you make sure that you're creating an amazing brand that what you're doing is coming across to the brand? And how do you improve the front-end experience or point-of-sale experience for your customer? So, you know, if, if you have resources, they're much better spent on that side of the company versus trying to figure out or become a logistics company in the back end. Now, logistics still has to be figured out because you still need to ship your products to your customer. But if you can find a solution where you can just plug into someone that's actually doing that at the core of the business, then why are you going to spend resources in that side? So it's almost like trying to rebuild Stripe. Like, well, yeah, you need a very good payment processing system or card processing system that does not mean that you have to go and rebuild Stripe because that's just not the core of your business. You're not a payment processing system at, at the core. So if you can just plug into Stripe and you know that Stripe is going to do the absolute best job because that's their sole focus of a company, then you can just take your dollars and spend it where it actually multiplies the value of the company, which is you know the, the, the brand building, the product sourcing, the taking care of the customer, the point of sale, the front end, all, all that side of the business. So... You know, while investing so much funds at ButcherBox in trying to solve for this problem, I just had this internal battling of like, hey, why are we doing this? Why is there not something out there that we can just plug into and solve this pain point for us? So, you know, I did, you know, countless research to try to find something that we could use at ButcherBox. And then at the same time, I started getting reached out by, by some companies that they would just literally find me online and send me a note saying, hey, Juan. I buy ButcherBox, it comes frozen. You guys are growing exponentially. I'm trying to ship, you know, humane grade frozen pet food, ready to eat meals, flowers, pharmaceutical, chocolate. Like, how are you guys doing this? You know, every time I, I'm shipping something, it's basically like throwing a coin. I don't know if this is going to arrive to the customer how it's intended. And then at that point, if I already spent the company resources or funds to acquire that customer, then if it does not get to them how it's supposed to, the probability of them churning or not buying it is so high. And mostly because, you know, they're buying either food or flour or farm or like all these things are just so, um, you know, time sensitive and critical to get to get there in a, in, in a very good state. So I started just like being asked this by multiple companies and I started helping them anecdotally in terms of how can they improve their 
offering and the service to their customers that it just became so, appar- so apparent that like, hey, there just needs to be something for this. Like, why is there not something for this out there? And then the reason why I think there was just nothing for that out there is because it's a relatively new problem. You know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, people were not buying frozen stuff. You know, there was a couple of brands that were doing it, but it was just not mass market, not common knowledge. It is common knowledge right now. So for better or for worse, I think that you have to come from the pain point. You have to come from the problem to be able to solve it because it's very complex. There's a lot of variables. There's a lot of moving parts. So for me personally, you know, it was, it, it was a calling. It was like, hey, I come from the problem. You know, we somewhat solved it at ButcherBox, but there's still a lot better things that we could be doing either to solve it or spending our resources with. Uh, you know, I know the industry very well, and there's a lot of these companies asking how to solve this problem. So, you know, why not just, you know, basically jump on it and solve it? If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you a boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast-growth startups. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. And then let's go to the way how you solve that. Because go, like attaching to this Stripe analogy you brought, so, are you, so you're providing the software for SSS for the companies needing the logistics. Then are you basically working on the backside with actual logistics companies? Because in the end, it's atoms that need to be moved. So how does that work? Yeah, totally. So, you know, I'll give you a very specific example. of it. So we say that we, in a high level, how we solve it or what we do is we move away from a static decision-making into a dynamic decision-making. So a very specific example of this is You're shipping a box to California. It's a two-day time in transit, or the carrier says that they deliver it to that point in two days. And then by default, you're going to add, let's say, five pounds of ice per day, which means total you're going to add 10 pounds of dry ice to that box. So that means that every time you ship a box to California, it's going to ship with carrier A, it's going to take two days, and it's going to take 10 pounds of ice in that box. That's static. What we take is, what we do is, we don't preset those decisions. We've built models that basically you put the, these variables and options into the model. And then based on the most up-to-date network conditions, we decide you know, by the second how you should be shipping that box to that, to that final cluster. So as an example, let's say that you know, it's my, you know, under, under 50 degrees in California and the carrier, final service delivery carrier is performing at 99.5% of time delivery, you're seeing zero complaints and zero damage from that customer. You're shipping a product that holds or is very dense and holds cold very well. So why are you going to add 10 pounds? You know, take five pounds out. At that point, you're saving you know, a lot of money in the actual refrigerant. You can downsize the size of the box because you know, boxes and insulation is very expensive. And then you now don't have to ship five pounds of something in the mail, which is very expensive to ship and then creates a lot of waste. So that's something that we're basically just like plugging into multiple sources in the network. We're taking that data uh, almost on a real-time basis. We're then bringing it to the forefront of the equation and then making those decisions on the fly for our customers. Love that. And then let's switch gears completely. That was like very product-focused and I would love to talk about the company-building side of things. So you raised Venture for that. How much did you raise so far? And like how big is the team? So... You know, we went relatively small on it. And I say relatively small because this is a, a massive market, massive opportunity. You know, we're growing very fast on it. But 
Uh, we so I'll give you actually I'll take a step back. So ButcherBox we bootstrapped. You know, never raised a single dollar from anyone um, at that point. And you know, I I I I realized and we realized at ButcherBox that by having done that, we were forced to actually add value to our customers to have a sustainable company. Because there's no other way to building a company if you're not burning a bunch of cash, if you're not adding you know value to your customers. So I wanted to take that mentality, bring it to the new company, and um, you know, and build an, an amazing team to to get that done. So we raised uh, about two point one million dollars in total um, to start the company. Um, I don't even know that was a pre-seed or a seed round. We didn't really like went into the full, you know, like just like, like the first money in basically. Yeah, totally. And 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 the way we did it is we said, hey, who out there can add? a shit ton of value to this company and, and, and that we can partner with for this. So we basically very strategically handpicked the, the, the investors of the company so that you know, we knew that we were working with people that, yes, are providing funds, but at the same time are bringing a lot of expertise in terms of the specific industry and building companies as well. So we took a very targeted approach to, to, to you know, raising funds regularly for the company, which is why um, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that we did like the, the, the natural or the, the regular VC venture back model that you see nowadays, which is basically, you know, a lot of times, not, not, not saying that everyone does this, but it's like, hey, raise as much as, you know, you get from, from everyone and just like, you know, bump company valuation. Um, you know, not everyone does this, of course, but, but it's definitely a lot of what you see out there. Yeah. So did you try or are you profitable from that one investment or are you still trying to raise follow-up rounds and go more like the traditional venture rounds? So, um, you know, to be determined uh, in terms of uh, routes that we take, uh, you know, we've been growing exponentially. We're, I venture to say that we're like the fastest growing company in the space, if not the fastest, like top three. Uh, you know, we launched, let's say, 16 to 18 months ago. We're like well into the eight figures of revenue. Uh, we're profitable as, as well, um, you know, since the beginning of the year. And so, you know, things are going very well, like, you know, company, company building wise, uh, you know, the team, of course, you know, have not asked me specifically about the team, but I'm extremely happy with the team. Uh, how that big, we have, how many know, employees do you have right now? How big is the uh, team? We're 20 plus, uh, 20 plus people. Um, our CTO, uh, Jimmy Cooper, uh, used to be head of data at ButcherBox. Uh, so he also comes from the problem. Uh, you know, he's the guy that I used to go at ButcherBox try to solve, hey, you know, how do we increases success rate in this specific zip code, like it would be the guy that I go that I go to and just like, you know, brainstorm solutions with and then look into the actual data and bring solutions to the table. Um, so he's, you know, CTO running all the technology side of the company. Um, and uh, and yeah, you know, putting together a very dynamic team to to help us keep growing this thing and adding value to customers. And then that's a very nitty gritty question, but of those 20 people, what's the pie chart looking like in terms of like, Engineering and product, marketing, sales, like what's the structure like? So we have zero marketing, zero sales. Um, and we have mostly engineers and some operations uh, people internally. But uh, zero marketing, zero sales to this day. So you're doing founder-led sales or how do you, I mean, if you do eight figures in revenue, you need, you need to do something right on the, on the sales side. So, so how do you acquire customers right now? So, I mean, we're, we're a fully product focused company. Um, you know, I think that we've, 
like by solving the problem and bringing the approach to the table that we bring, we've been able to build a very strong brand from the get-go, like literally since the day one that we launched. But that's not because we are like, you know, making a hard or strong effort to build a brand. That's just because people recognize the way that we've solved this problem and what we bring to the industry. So that has helped with a lot of the momentum that we have. Um, and in terms of how we actually acquire or get customers, is just referrals, which is either from current customers that have now worked with us for some time and they understand uh, the value that we've been adding to their company, or it's also people from the industry or like co-manufacturers from the industry, for example, that you know if the direct-to-consumer company grows, they do very well as well. So that's why they basically refer customers to us because they want them to find a provider or a technology company that is actually going to help them grow their company. And that's how we've been you know, getting some of the, the referrals as well. So it's all basically 100% referrals. Does the, those referrals you just mentioned, do you incentivize them in some form of way or is it like purely organic? They just know that it's like good for them. So they do the referral. No affiliate fee, nothing, or is there like some purely kind organic. of incentive you set? No, no, pure, purely organic. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a it's a it's a very like close knit industry. You know, people know each other. People know who does a good job. People know who works well. You know, people know who who's actually adding value and doing things differently. Uh, so it's it's purely organic. Interesting. And then I would imagine, but again, like I have no clue about logistics, but I would imagine that it's more on the higher contract value side of things. So it's, I, I, I guess you're not charging 50 bucks a month per customer. So is it like six figures uh, a year per customer and like a very small term? Like walk us through the economics a bit on like as much as you can share it. So it, it, it varies uh, depending on the type of company. So we've seen that we add value in three main categories of customers. So... You know, we have the butcher boxes of the world, which is, you know, multiple hundreds, millions of dollars in revenue, you know, billion dollar brands that are basically, you know, plugging into that technology and, and understanding that, hey, like if they increase what they're doing, if they improve what they're doing by 20%, it's like massive numbers for them. Then we have the, the mid like tier company that could be doing, you know, a few tens of millions of dollars in revenue or a couple of million dollars in revenue where they know that they're like basically at the breaking point where they either take a stab at building this internally, which I think is a terrible idea, or find a company like us that they can just plug into and work with. And and these type of companies, like, you know, they don't necessarily have a lot of the resources to basically go and like hire you know, three, four, five people to run their logistics operations. So tools can really, really, really help them grow exponentially because it solves it solves a problem that like they don't even have a way of solving it unless they now like become focused. Like they basically shift the focus in the company into solving that problem. Um, so I like one type of company, and then the other type of company is a company that you know could have a very recognized product now. There could be a very recognized uh, you know, brand or food conglomerate that now, because they understand that the consumer mind has shifted and they now understand that they can buy frozen things online, they now want, want to get into that market, which it's, you know, very natural to happen. So they 
they spot a new way to get a direct access to their customers and they want to launch a brand. But you know, they have very good accessibility to, to you know, resources and funds because um, they already have basically a proven track record of good business behind them. Uh, but they can just plug into us and you know, basically go from zero to 100 in like two weeks. That's amazing. And then last and final question. If we would record another podcast in five years and I ask the question, what does Grip look like right now? What would you love the answer to be? So, I mean, the, like, we are becoming the company in the space. And, and like, I don't think that, like, I'm very confident in how we're solving this problem. And mostly because, because we see it, because we see the results of it. Like, we see the feedback from our customers and we see, you know, the growth of the company as well. So I'm very confident that we're becoming like the company in the space that, that really, you know, we, if that really like if companies want to solve this problem from, from the root, from the get go, and they want to like really find a way to service their final customer, uh, that there's really not going to be like any better product than what we're putting out there. Because again, we're very product focused and, you know, because of the experience of our CTO as well, and we really understand the pain point. So, um, you know, five years from now, uh, you know, we're just going to keep developing the technology, keep developing the platform and just keep adding value to our customers where it just comes to a point where we're like, you no, know, just a company for this. I think those are amazing last words to wrap up here. Juan, thanks a ton for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.